Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is almost the end of yet another week. We're into August. Uh, the weather is not too terrible. Uh, it's actually not raining this morning. There's blue sky out there. If you're going abroad, you may well be on the lookout uh, for some rather splendid summery weather. Uh, the earth is no longer on fire. Uh, there's a few wildfires going on in Hawaii, uh, but that's a very, very long way away. Some tragic incidents happening over there. Uh, but in Portugal, uh, we're not hearing about any more fires. In Rhodes, in Greece, no more fires. In Spain, no more fires. Uh, in fact, the climate brigade seems to have calmed down altogether. It's become rather a nice, cerebral uh, sort of summer, hasn't it? Uh, all told, I think we can probably think uh, we will move into the autumn uh, with a reasonable degree uh, of prosperity and positivity. We're going to talk to Isabel Oakshock coming up, Talk TV's international editor, of course. We're going to talk to her about why a third of Rishi Sunak's cabinet want the party to leave the European Convention on Human Rights. I said to uh, Kevin O'Sullivan this morning, there's no need to leave it, just ignore it. It's as simple as that. That's what everybody else does. We'll talk about inclusive hospitals, who've decided they don't want to call women women anymore. They'd rather call them patients of childbearing potential. Gail in Harrogate says, uh, Hi Mike, how come the NHS are stopping staff saying woman but not banning the word man? As a woman, I feel like women's rights are going backwards. I'm now retired from the NHS. Thank goodness. It makes me so mad. So many people used to work in the NHS are now asking the question, what on earth has gone wrong? How is it possible that now, um, I think it is um, something like 7.6 million people are waiting for their first procedure on the NHS and they've been waiting a very, very long time. We will, of course, also revisit the Bibby Stockholm, uh, the migrant problem going on in this country, why it is that uh, the government can't seem to get anything right on that particular front. And we'll also talk about this new uh, lawlessness that is attacking Britain. Yesterday we saw gangs of youth storming shops in Oxford Street basically to loot them and take whatever it was that they wanted. People punching the police and nobody actually stepping in to help them. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let us get it on. And before you start, I barely want to mention Diane Abbott and that ridiculous tweet that she put out yesterday because I wasn't one of those people calling uh, for Lee Anderson to curb his language. If he wants to say what he said uh, about sending the migrants back uh, from whence they came, I don't care whether he used the F word. Similarly, if uh, Diane Abbott wants to make a fool of herself by putting out a tweet which is so patently ridiculous and heartless uh, that you wouldn't take it seriously at all, I want, I'm not going to call for her to be suspended. She's already suspended from the Labour Party. I think she's probably unfit to be an MP and maybe we should consider recalling her at the next election. But at the end of the day, uh, I feel more sorry for Diane Abbott than anything else. But let's talk to Isabel Oakshaw and say a very good morning to her, because here we are in the midst of the school holidays. Um, Isabel, it's always a difficult time for parents because you can't always do what you want to do. But uh, welcome to the show. Very good morning to you. Good morning. You're cheery this morning. I am. Is that anything to do with you being technically a year older? Well, it could well be. I mean, for me now, when my my birthday... Yeah, well, my birthday rolls around. I'm just glad that I've managed to survive another year without, you know, kicking uh, kicking the bucket. So at my age, I'm, I've got something to celebrate by moving into the new year. But yeah, no, I had a very nice day yesterday, celebrating my birthday, had a bit of champagne, a bit of tapas, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, so all's well with the world. I wish I could say the same for Britain. <laughs> yeah, well, don't, don't we all? I just want to pick up really briefly on the issue of NHS waiting lists. I know it wasn't something we planned to mm. talk about big this morning. Um, But you mentioned about the record uh, number of people waiting. Um, And I can shed some light on um, just why uh, the NHS is tying itself into such knots over waiting lists. With just a little anecdote about a friend of mine who has a quite a large suspicious lump um, that needed investigating. Uh, And because it was going to take so long to get anyone to investigate it on the NHS, uh, he paid to go private he saw one of the most eminent urologists in this country, Mm -hmm. a a, a consultant who works both for the NHS, uh, or certainly in the past worked both for the NHS and private. It's now at one of the leading private hospitals in this country. The urologist said, yup, you need an operation. This thing needs to come out. Um, So he took his referral letter from the uh, urologist, the report, uh, to try to get the operation on the NHS as he's in entitled to do uh, but the nhs will not accept the referral because it comes from a private hospital really how so ridiculous start the whole process again 
and is currently waiting for an appointment with an NHS specialist who will say yeah. exactly the same thing. Well, I know so many people who have had this problem who have decided to go private partly because it's happened the other way around. So they've gone to their doctor, their local uh, NHS doctor, because they've got something they want seen to. And they can't get the appointment. So in the end, they're so frustrated that they end up going to one of the many private clinics that are now popping up all over the place who will only charge you sort of 65 quid to go in and be seen by somebody. And for a lot of people, that's a price worth paying. Absolutely. But the problem is if you then need some further treatment and then you're into the realms of thousands of thousands of pounds. Yeah. And my friend doesn't want to pay, you know, three to five thousand pounds for an operation that really he should be able to get on the NHS. Right. Um, you then find that the NHS won't accept a referral from one of their own former urologists. Yes. Just because on principle, that person now works right. in one of the leading private hospitals in this country. And that's, you know, and that's an ideological refusal, is isn't it? That, you know, is it just ideological? Is it ridiculous red tape? Whatever it is, it is only exacerbating the worst waiting list we have in history. And people should be under no illusion mm. that that waiting list does not reflect the true number of people. No for treatment because many people aren't even they haven't even got to the stage where their weight is being officially recorded right and we've also been told and we know this for sure that there's a secondary list of 10 million who are people who have been seen once by some procedural person on the nhs but they're awaiting a second procedure so they've they've passed the first waiting list but they're now in a second queue for the next bit and so it's actually more like 17 to 18 million people now queuing up to be seen by the NHS, which is, let's face it, pretty much a third of the adult population. I mean, if people can possibly afford it in whatever way, shape or form, your health is the single most important thing. Without it, nothing else can really be fun or happy. So, I mean, I genuinely think, I regret to say that people should opt out where they can to try to short circuit the system, uh, but in an informed way, Mm. knowing that there may actually be further hurdles along the line. So you can't necessarily assume that just because you've got a referral from a private consultant, that will get you straight onto the list for an NHS operation. But do opt out to get a GP appointment if you need to, uh, just to try and scans, you know, all those types of things that you can pay as a one off. If there's any way you can afford it, it's got to be better than an indefinite wait. And you can always do both. You know, you can always stay on the waiting list whilst trying to get something privately if you can. Yeah, absolutely right. And as, as you say, you know, people should expect to be able to get treatment on the NHS, yeah. not just because it's cheaper, but because they've already paid for it. You know, something like a quarter of your income tax goes straight to the NHS, right? Yeah, I mean, 100% agree. It is disgraceful that we are now um, effectively evolving into a two-tier health system, all the while propping up the fundamental tier to the tune of practically £200 billion a year. But in reality, the the point of the NHS is that there shouldn't have been uh, two-tier healthcare, some for the rich and the better off and some for the poor. But that is what has now evolved. Um, And sometimes you just got to deal with the realities that you've got. And, you know, I just say don't die on the altar of principle. Yes, you deserve your treatment on the NHS. Oh, hell yes, you do. Uh, Don't. Don't die on that principle. You know, do what it takes to short circuit the system right. because I don't see any speeding up anytime soon. No, of course. I want to say finally that occasionally the NHS has the ability to surprise on the upside. Uh, and one of my relatives has been processed very quickly for an emergency scan. So I don't want to be too negative. Sometimes no, listen, it can work. But the trouble is, that's a, a much more rare story. You know, it's more like a news story now if somebody actually gets treated properly and without right. any problem right. whatsoever yeah. on the NHS. And now that the records have been broken yet again, it'll take even longer. Um, speaking of records, there's yet another record we're being told has been broken. Uh, new arrivals, we are told this morning, appear to take channel crossings to more than 100,000 since 2018 and this is according to eyewitnesses I assume that means people are counting them in uh, and counting them out so over a hundred thousand people this is a number of course that the lefties were telling us for years is a very small and insignificant number of people compared to the number of people who actually uh, emigrate to this country legally well it's not a small number anymore a hundred thousand people is a very large town in this country And let's be really, really clear about this. The vast majority of those people do not have a genuine asylum claim, not least 
because the majority of them should be inadmissible on the grounds that they came through a so-called safe country, third-party country to get here. I've just been looking at the legislation on this. If you come through a country that is safe before you make your claim here, automatically your claim is inadmissible. So why are so many claims still being considered right. uh, what the vast majority of people, well, if they've come on a boat across the channel, they've come from France. Yes. So you know, that seems pretty black and white to me. Um, I think what's happening is that they're claiming that they've been trafficked um, and that's a loophole in the uh, safe country legislation. Uh, but I don't think you can claim you've been trafficked if you've actually paid to get here. Uh, and if you truly have been trafficked and come here against your will, I'm sure you wouldn't mind being sent back again. Well, exactly right. But don't forget, they have also overcome this massive phobia of water that they all have as well. Uh, incredible that they've just sort of shut their eyes and stuck their fingers in their ears as they were literally crossing the channel going, no, 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 no I'm not really on the water because I'm really frightened of it. I mean, just absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, make no mistake, this whole fiasco is fatal to the Conservatives' re-election yeah. Prospects. And that is why we're seeing a number of cabinet ministers now saying, oh, we've got to leave the ECHR, which is what's thwarting the Rwanda policy. Well, even if they do put that in their manifesto, the Tories, I think voters are sick to the back teeth of hearing pledges from the Conservatives on this. They've had years and years and years to sort it out. No amount of telling me that you're going to leave the ECHR in your next manifesto will convince me that you've been anything other than utterly incompetent and continue to be so on a daily basis. Mm. And I don't think there's any secret now to the fact that the civil service is actively disengaging with the government and actively um, working against the government in any way that they can. We know the Home Office has slowed down asylum and processing to a point where everybody ends up getting in just because they've been waiting around for so long. I don't think there's any accident that 170 odd thousand people are waiting to be processed because the Home Office is simply not doing it. I don't believe they're so useless that they can only do one person per week. Well, I've got some good information coming out on this in the next few days and <clears throat> there are many reasons uh, why it's such a fiasco. But when we talk about getting through the backlog, the fundamental set of instructions uh, that are being issued over how to handle these cases is at the heart of why yeah. the whole system is collapsing. Yeah, I don't think there can be any doubt about that. And somebody points out to me uh, on Twitter here, Dominic Raab was in the midst of trying to set up a new um, kind of UK Bill of Rights. But then, of course, he was hounded out of office for bullying. You know, there seems to be almost a, um, uh, a sort of a, a staged defence of uh, the civil service and a staged attack on the government every single time it tries to do anything, but that will affect the civil service. And also you've got to look at the role of lawyers here. And I yeah. think this is something that's being touched. Well, it's being covered every week in media and by talk TV. You know, the role of lefty lawyers, mm. the male great expose. We've got more to come on this on talk TV, I'm sure. Um, but if you look at this in the round, um, lawyers up and down this country, for their own greedy reasons, a combination of greed and ideology, yeah. are consistently trying to thwart the will and the power of a democratically elected government. And they are doing so highly cynically. There is example after example of law firms. They are basically highly predatory. They are parasitical and they are feeding off the ability mm. to make a great deal of money challenging things that the voters have elected this government to do. That's not an excuse for the government not to be cracking on with it. They should be tackling the root of the problem yeah. and why they're being thwarted. Um, but there are so many elements of the so-called establishment that work against the will of the people here. And I'm sorry to sound a bit Brexity and a bit will of the no, people. No, you're absolutely right. It matters, doesn't it? Because otherwise, you know, we are all disempowered yeah. as voters if the governments that we elect are not able to carry out what we've asked them to do. No, exactly right. And there's no doubt that there is a connection between the Brexit movement, uh, what happened in 2016, the fact that Tony Blair has now re-entered the fray, bankrolled by some uh, tech entrepreneur in America to the tune of £81 million, pounds, uh, basically trying to get us back into the European Union. But stay where you are, we'll come back to that, because there is a massive... Um, 
what I call resistance movement to democratic change in this country. And they've been fighting the Tory party at least since 2016. And they're beginning uh, to have an edge on them, I would say. Uh, we'll continue with Isabel Oakeshott after this on Talk TV. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We're talking to Isabel Oakeshott this morning, uh, Talk TV's international editor. And I mean, the ECHR, which we which we brought up with uh, at the beginning of the show. I mean, I said to Kevin O'Sullivan this morning, we don't need to go to the re- the realms of and the ridiculous na- uh, ends of sort of doing away with it and leaving it and uh, quitting it and making ourselves out to look like we're Belarusia. Surely we can just ignore it, like everybody else does in in Europe. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. And and let's um, think politically here. You know, if the government were to ignore it and make a big thing of ignoring it, and if they got into a whole lot of hot water from some, you know, frothing liberal lefties, whether in this country or in Brussels or wherever or Strasbourg it is that's based, um, well, so what? That's actually a good fight for this government to pick. Uh, it's an awful lot quicker a solution just to ignore it. I mean, why not just put the migrants on a plane uh, off to Rwanda they go and, you know, sorry, but, you know, screw the ECHR. What is the worst that's going to happen? We get a, a little fine or something? I mean, yeah, well, I'm not too afraid of that. We're already wasting an awful lot of money on the accommodation for the migrants anyway. So use that to pay some fines if we have to. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, who wouldn't want to save £6 million a day by not keeping people in hotels and by actually just <laughs> deporting them uh, to Rwanda or wherever, Ascension Island? Although I know I mean, that the, uh, even the RAF now don't want to help us. Yeah, I mean, the Ascension Island thing, I do think is ludicrous. Um, And I don't think just because of the sheer distance involved, although I quite like the idea just because it would really wind up the, um, you know, the eco nutters who are (laughs) fussing about just how many, um, you know, how many carbon emissions would be caused by each flight and each migrant. Um, But surely we could deport them to somewhere a bit closer to home if we're going to go down that route. I mean, I think there's quite a few um, pretty remote islands up north, just off, off the top of Scotland that would be quite suitable it's pretty cold up there i think they might soon reconsider whether they were really fleeing from such desperate hard times and torture in turkey yeah it's a bit different to being on the on the south coast of the country walking along the promenade at eastbourne to suddenly find yourself walking out of a house and being blown into the sea because it's about 90 miles by wind blowing in the middle of august but but let's talk a bit about uh, net zero because obviously you know the world is burning up even as we speak and um there's been a kind of interesting maneuvering uh, of of things going on inside the tory party we've got some tory mps now standing up to rishi sunak and saying you know would you mind not banning uh, oil oil fired um, uh, boilers would you mind not actually moving quite so close to net zero uh, would you mind also doing some exploration in the north sea is it all smoke and mirrors at the moment what do you think I'll tell you exactly what it is, 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 oh, hello, Rishi. Um, I've just realised that in a few months' time, I'm going to actually have to face the electorate and I might be about to lose my job. And despite the fact that I've known for the past few years that everything my administration is doing on the old eco-nutter front yes. is infuriating the electorate, I've done nothing about it until now, but now I'm going to object because I might be about to lose my job. I mean, give me strength. Are these people, you know, finding a backbone at the 11th hour is not convincing whatsoever. They're a bunch of jellyfish, and I don't think that any of them should be rewarded for their failure by re-election. No. And that's not a party political point. It is a point on complete incompetence. They should not be rewarded. Yeah, on all fronts, by the way. I'm reading a great piece in uh, uh, in the Telegraph from yesterday by Alistair Heath, uh, who says the public still isn't being told the full horrifying truth about the net zero permanent revolution. And he reminds us all that Ed Miliband, back in 2008, pushed, pushed through the Climate Change Act uh, with uh, the um, acceptance of all but five MPs in the House of Commons. So they all signed up to this. They all believed in it. They all wanted to reduce our emissions by 80%. Uh, from the 1990 levels to where we are now. And so now they're finally reaping what it was that they sowed. And I think for most people, it all seemed a bit kind of distant and esoteric. And how did it affect their daily lives when all of this was passed years ago? Uh, And when it's all being discussed at, you know, these COP conferences that everyone jets into in uh, generally, generally hot places, although Glasgow being the exception, 
Uh, and then people are beginning to realize this actually has a very practical impact. So for example, um, your property now has to have this environmental performance rating certificate thing. Uh, and if you don't pass, you don't get a good enough grade on your little certificate, you suddenly find that your property can't be let out, for example, right. it's condemned. Uh, why? Because it doesn't have double glazing or some twaddle. Uh, you know, this stuff actually affects people's real lives because they find they can't do what they want with their homes or they can't rent somewhere because it's failed some silly little red tape test um, and they can't renew a boiler. And, you know, this stuff is just we are tying ourselves in knots. We are basically hanging ourselves from our own eco noose. Well, the rest of the, uh, you know, when many other countries in the world which are responsible for the vast majority of emissions are cracking on. Yeah, they absolutely are. And the chickens are coming home to roost now for Sadiq Khan. He's now trying to claim almost everything is the fault uh, of our air pollution problems in London. He, he ridiculously claimed the other day uh, that, that even though there's no link that's been established by a scientific study, that he's now convinced that actually um, having not such clean air may lead you to be immune to antibiotics. And you kind of go, sorry, where did that one come from? I mean, when do, I, I'm going to return to the point of the state of the um, of the air in the tube, yeah. which is how the vast majority of London, Londoners get around. I mean, it is so filthy down there that you might actually get some health benefits from wearing a big sieve on your head. Yeah. That's the size of the particles down there. Uh, why is that being ignored? Why is he focusing on these so-called dangers from open air um, you know, what's going on in particulate matter in open air when the tube is obviously much, much worse than that. None of it makes sense to me. And I don't think it makes sense to people in London. No, it really doesn't. And yet every single time you switch on the radio, uh, not on this channel, of course, but if you switch it on on any other channel, you get some bloke telling you now's a really good time to insulate your home because actually that will save you an awful lot of money and it will be good for the environment. And you're kind of going, who's given you permission to say that as if it's the gospel truth? Well, I'll tell you what's going on here. It's an awful lot of people making a lot of money, isn't mm. it? The um, home insulation companies are absolutely coining it in as a result of people having to do this stuff in order to get their certificates, without which they can't sell their properties. And if they don't get a high enough rating, the value of the property goes down. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's almost like blackmail. I mean, in fact, I think it is blackmail. You might as well just call it what it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're just basically forced into this stuff um, and people are waking up to it. And politically, it's very toxic. Um, you know, I think I do think we need a, a referendum on net zero um, because people are beginning to realise that this isn't some boring political concept. It's not an idea or a notion or a nice ideal. It is a very, very real set of policies which affects almost every aspect of our lives and we were not asked about it. No, we really weren't. And nobody is going to ask us about it either. Isabel, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Isabel Oakeshott, Talk TV's international editor, uh, talking to us about a great many things. A couple of bits of breaking news this morning. Uh, 7.6 million people uh, is now the number waiting uh, for a procedure on the NHS. That's a new record. And also new arrivals coming across the channel appear since 2018 to have reached the magic number of 100,000. That's 100,000 extra people coming here illegally on small boats uh, since 2018. I'm sure it's a lot bigger than that, the number, isn't it? 0344 499 1000. This is Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. More breaking news. We keep getting breaking news this morning. This is the third piece of breaking news. Apparently Bayern Munich have reached an agreement with Tottenham Hotspur to sign Harry Kane, uh, England's top goal scorer. Uh, sources in Germany have indicated apparently the deal is supposed to be worth more than €100 million, Euros, uh, which is around about £86.4 million. Pounds. The, the deal has been accepted by uh, the Premier League side Tottenham. Uh, the Premier League, of course, kicks off this very weekend. It's all on Talk Sport. It's the return of football, uh, if that's what you want. Uh, Kane must now apparently decide whether or not he will make the move. I'm not sure it's really up to him. If Tottenham have sold him, then he can't really hang around, can he? Uh, we might get a view on that uh, coming up a little bit later on. Mike says Paul in Fife, leaving the ECHR is yet another example of our dithering gutless government. Do they think leaving it would somehow turn us into a heartless country with no moral fibre? This is Britain, uh, which is our pride. Uh, they have been scrambling around pretending to solve the illegal migrant problem, yet will not 
not take the simple step of leaving the ECHR. France are in it, uh, but you don't see them housing migrants in hotels, giving them cash or rolling out the red carpet for them. This country deserves better than the gutless idiots running us. We are sick to death of it. Why do politicians across the board imagine that getting the backlog of asylum applications down will somehow magically resolve the crisis? We will still be left with the issue of housing 200,000 people who might be successful and failed applicants as well. It resolves nothing. Stop them coming here, you idiots. Pauline Fife speaks out of a great deal of sense. As I said this morning to Kevin O'Sullivan, I just repeated to Isabel Oakeshott, we're being told that more than 100,000 people have now come here illegally uh, in small boats since 2018. I find that to be a very low number because considering that last year alone we had 40,000, uh, this year there will be certainly another 40,000 at the very minimum. If you're going to tell me that only 100,000 have come uh, in the past five years, I will tell you that I think you're slightly underestimating it all. But let's talk to Robert Olds from Bruges Group. Uh, he may have a view on it. Robert, very good morning to you. Good morning. Mike. So we're, we're told, and, and we're told that this is by eyewitness um, sort of uh, a statement, that we have now received 100,000 people in small boats since 2018. Um, I would put it to you that that's a very low estimate, it seems to me. Absolutely. That's just those that have been observed coming ashore. Right. The numbers are indeed much higher, and we can be sure of this, and we can never really know the true scale of the problem. And it is a problem, and it is an, an enormous amount of people who are coming, but because, of course, people disappear and they go into the black economy. Their passports are taken, their identities are re re reinvented, they're put to work, or indeed, in some cases, adults are attending school as children. And this is one of the latest delusions that some people, particularly on the woke spectrum, have. There are those who are clearly adults that are saying they're children, they're put into schools, and of course, uh, people can see exactly who they are. And in some places on the south coast of England and further afield into the home counties, it is very difficult to find a school all a place because the sheer number of people that are coming therefore the numbers are indeed very high in absolutely yeah. and this is a real problem and now what we're getting of course is the people who are coming over are now getting lawyers uh, so that whenever they appear anywhere uh, they've sort of got a lawyer in tow who's going to speak for them and sort of negotiate on their behalf and to tell you what it is that they will do and what they won't do it's quite an extraordinary state of affairs all paid for of course by you and i the taxpayer Absolutely. It is, it is a racket and people are making a lot of money out of this. The legal establishment, they've always benefited from these kind of immigration issues and there'll be a dispute. They'll take it to the you can take it to the all the way to the European Court of Human Rights in some instances or at the very lowest level. There are lawyers, as we know, that are manipulating the system, giving advice on how to uh, game the system and how, in some cases, to cheat the system to remain here. But this isn't just lawyers and their unethical practices. It goes throughout the social services. There is a belief in social services that people are entitled to various uh, benefits mm. and that social services, the, the taxpayer-funded Groups will be reaching out to them, say you can claim this, and of course that's part of the, part of the law of the land. But of course, people coming here to claim benefits in many instances is absolutely wrong when resources are short, they're few and far between, and need to be channelled correctly at those who are already here, rather than funding those who wish to come here, no doubt, obviously, to better their lives and to take advantage of all that our society has to offer. But surely our first responsibility, especially during difficult times, is to people in the country already. Yes. I mean, listen, I've got every sympathy for people who want to better their lives, but not at my expense, thank you, and not at anybody else's expense who actually lives here and whose life is being is being uh, sort of, you know, misdirected and made worse by the, by the advisory uh, admission of all of these people. You know, quite simply, if you live in Portland, you don't want a barge sitting there housing 500 uh, illegal migrants. If you live in Bexhill, you don't want, you know, 1,100 young men being put in a sort of disused old prison that was used by the army uh, so that they can all be uh, improving their lives. Well, thanks very much indeed. Why don't you improve your life somewhere else? Indeed. And of course, there's social issues to do with this. We've got a pretty good thing in the UK. Um, race relations are pretty exceptional compared to some other countries. But this threatens the... The, the, the goodwill that many people have in, the, in, this, in this country. It threatens community cohesion. It takes resources away. 
it, it, it really does endanger things. We don't exactly know who exactly we're letting in. And if people want to come here, there are legal routes where you can get work visas. One, this is all quite possible. People should not have to be, um, if they have something to benefit this country, if they have something to offer us, they shouldn't have to be rocking up on a, on a boat. That is absolutely unnecessary. Oh. If you really think people would benefit from immigration, then let them fill in a work visa. And if there's a gap for, in the economy and we need their skills, then perhaps we can consider it. Personally, I'd rather we invested in our young people and train people up. And the market can indeed adapt quite quickly should there be a skills gap. But in some cases, perhaps there isn't. There is a need. But, we, but let, let's judge it. Let's have an intelligent immigration system where we will take those, the best and the brightest, that actually will be of good use to you and I. Yeah, absolutely right. Because, of course, there isn't any real explanation from anyone, whether in government or uh, in the civil service, who can explain what does happen if all of the people who are here... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Waiting to be processed actually get processed because what would happen, for example, if out of the 170,000 people, we suddenly got all the way through the processing system and only 70,000 of them uh, were accepted? 100,000 would then be sitting somewhere waiting to be deported. And where would they go? The amount of returns is absolutely minimal. And even those who have criminal convictions are not returned. You know, you and I have discussed the situation with 12,000 uh, convicted Albanian criminals that are still in the UK, right. not returned, should not be staying in, in this country. The, the Home Office is woeful, but we you know, need to really consider that there's a, a, an unwillingness to actually tackle this problem. There, the, essentially, in many cases, and it's not just in Britain and the English Channel, in the Mediterranean, the aid agencies are essentially doing the job of the people smugglers for them, going out, taking the, the, the migrants across the across the Mediterranean to countries such as uh, Malta or, or, or to Sicily yeah. and the coast of Italy. And the same is actually happening in the UK. The RNLI, uh, of course, an, an institution that had quite recently fallen to, to uh, the woke agenda. And yeah. there were uh, examples of crews and, and captains being dismissed because they were uh, not exactly ex the fully politically correct and fully woke, uh, may have had indeed just dismissed for having a, a, a saucy mug uh, that they would take on their on their on their ship on their lifeboat things like this but they are actually in many instances taking people across this isn't really immigration is partly and this migrant crossing isn't just something that the french have forced upon us or criminal gangs of people right. smuggling these organizations like the rnli are actually taking people who may not indeed be in danger but taking them across in in many instances and this is something that's unacceptable. And I'm sure many people will be reviewing uh, the donations, the valuable yeah. donations. Well, I mean, the RNLI are rescuing people who don't need to be rescued, which seems to me to be entirely against the, pro the whole point of the RNLI. Indeed, it puts those who have real problems, who may be in real danger at sea, uh, in, in peril. Because, of course, the RNLI are busy doing the job of the people smugglers for them, all because some woke agenda and makes makes them feel better about themselves and of course the government as well must also take responsibility we have uh, an in name only conservative government that has been housing asylum seekers in four or five star hotels that uh, in, in 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 seaside in seaside towns it would be benefiting from some real tourism and real in investment they've been making it exceptionally easy 
I mean, and I mean, things are going. The record isn't necessarily enough to exclude someone from receiving benefits. Someone hasn't even come into this country. There is an astounding situation where this, you know, in many cases, some politicians will talk up about this and say the right thing, and in some cases, impact implement some good policies. But for the most part, it's being by institutions that should be serving us and protecting us, namely the RNLI and even and the government and the board. Of well, exactly. I mean, down in the Bibby Stockholm case, uh, people are getting up in arms down in Weymouth because apparently there are nine NHS dentists in nearby Weymouth uh, and Portland where um, no adults are being taken on as new NHS patients. But uh, all of the 500 asylum seekers who are going to be on that particular barge will have access to free NHS dental treatment. Yeah, in indeed. It, try, try getting an NHS dentist. It is near impossible without any part of, of the UK. Some people people manage it. This is something that, that that's fundamental. This is people who have worked here for for many years, indeed, gen generations, have trouble getting an NHS dentist. But you can come here and get, immediately get treatment. That the National Health Service has become, uh, in many cases, an international health service and, and health tourism that shouldn't be tolerated that shouldn't be allowed that things are difficult just go into any a and e and of course there will be in in the, in, the, in the south coast there will be new arrivals seeking treatment as well for uh maladies that uh, may or may not be be serious in many cases it would be better off going to see perhaps a gp if they can get a, get an appointment the, the, our social services are being pushed to the very very limit and resources are not being given to where they're needed. And when you can't get a dentist, when you can't get your child into a school place, then this really threatens community cohesion and people are wondering what's going on. And really, there is a situation where this is being all managed by, by the woke and the government are not doing enough at all. No, exactly right. Robert, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Robert Olds there from the Bruges Group, uh, setting up precisely why uh, this immigration racket is just that, an absolute racket. It's good for the lawyers. It's good for the hoteliers. It's good for the government. Uh, it's good for the people making money out of the human trafficking. And it's probably good for the dentists as well. But it's certainly not any good for us, I'm afraid. This is Talk To Me. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We have reached yet another Thursday, sparkling out there it is, blue sky, uh, absolutely beautiful day. It's not as hot perhaps as you'd like it to be, but it is going to get hotter over the course of the next few days. So summer is in fact returning. Uh, don't worry about the naysayers telling you that climate change is making it all horrible. Uh, it's because you're driving around in your cars all day. Uh, the weather's getting hotter all over the world apart from in Britain where it's getting colder and wetter and windier and more ghastly. Uh, forget about it, right? The reason uh, that you are being charged to drive around is nothing to do uh, with saving the planet. It's everything to do with uh, putting more money in the coffers of the people that run the country, like Sadiq Khan, like the people that run the low-traffic neighbourhoods in Oxford, like the people that are running the ULEZ zone uh, up in Glasgow, like the people that want to run a clean air zone up in Manchester, like the people down in Bristol, like the people all over the country who want to make it more and more difficult for you to drive your car without paying through the nose for it. For heaven's sake, I don't know what's wrong with you. It's very easy to see uh, where the world is going wrong. And it's got nothing to do with climate change. It's got nothing to do uh, with how much uh, you're polluting the air. It's got everything to do with money. Because that's what makes the world go around, after all. Let us talk now to Howard Cox, London mayoral candidate for the Reform Party uh, and founder, of course, of Fair Fuel UK. A man who's been fighting on behalf of the motorists for years and years and years, as long as I can remember, actually. But don't worry, there's more good news on the horizon. Sir Keir Starmer, that great champion of the motor car, has come out and said that he doesn't think ULEZ schemes should be rolled out in the rest of the United Kingdom. So we're all safe. We're all in good shape. Howard, there's no need for you to campaign anymore. Keir Starmer has spoken. It's all sorted. Well, that's for today. You know, tomorrow, you flip-flop again. <laughs> you know what's going to happen. You know yeah. what's going right. yeah, it's, it's to suddenly thing, slam the car into reverse and start driving backwards at 100 miles an hour. Yeah, exactly that. And I think you may have noticed there's a general election coming. So uh, he's, he knows there's 37 million votes out there. Yes. With, uh, drivers and right. it's as simple as that and it's so shallow and ridiculous so you know it's, it, it's nothing more shallow and ridiculous of course than the london mayor mm. 
Well, exactly right. I mean, I was up in Scotland at the weekend with my good friend Donald McLeod, who's fighting the, uh, okay. uh, the the low emission zone up there. Because in Glasgow, you don't even get to actually pay to drive in it. You have to get a fine just for going in. And if you go in um, at all, you get fined. So the nighttime economy is getting killed off. There are businesses getting killed off as we speak. But they've got a judicial review coming up, I think, in September, where they're hoping it might get reversed. But this is a real problem for people all over the country, isn't it? It very much is. And um, I, I honestly think there's going to be a huge driver rebellion uh, coming up in the next six years, obviously leading up to the 2030 diesel petrol ban, new car sales ban. And, and I'm getting in. Well, as you know, I've got about 1.7 million supporters mm. and my inbox is flooded with anger. It's, it's not just, you know, frustration. This is serious anger about why are you doing this? Especially, as you well know, the Transport for London, for example, the extension of the ULES uh, zone to the uh, M25 Greater London will not make any difference to the air we breathe. Right. So uh, it, it is pure cash grabbing. It's an easy thing to do. We're cash cows. We have been for years. The, the Treasury has always done that with the fuel duty. We managed to keep that frozen and, and drop it by a little bit. But the whole thing about this is that what people forget in political life is that the, the, the driver is the commercial heartbeat of any economy. Yeah, exactly right. But what they don't seem to realise is that that economy is being snuffed out and being stifled every single turn because there's a big difference between taking that ULED zone, which currently runs in central London effectively, out to parts of um, rural kind of, um, I would call it sort of the suburbs where, I mean, I've been getting pictures from people who have sent them in of of rolling fields and, you know, pubs sitting in in very rural situations where there's sort of more or less in the middle of a forest where the air looks pretty good to me. Well, not according to Sadiq Khan. You're you're always saying that the M25 is the barrier. You you cross the M25, it's clean, wonderful air. Come back into the M25 inside the Greater London. We're all dying. 4,000 people are dying every year. All the lines are being thrown everywhere. All that health fatality data, completely and utterly flawed. And they're using that as an emotive way to take money from our pockets. Yes, exactly right. And there doesn't seem to be any method by which Sadiq Khan will not continue to try and sort of weasel his way through this because he's been told by consultation that the people don't want it. Uh, he's been told by the result of a by-election in Uxbridge that the people don't want it. Every single place he goes, uh, unless he's kind of controlling the audience, he gets told the people don't want it. And yet he keeps saying, I'm listening to Londoners and this is why I'm doing it. Well, we, we, you mentioned Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer's put him under a lot of pressure recently, and that's why he's changed his scrappage scheme yeah. levels. You know, it, only marginally, but he has done something like that, and that's come from Keir Starmer. But Keir Starmer is anti-ULES, he says, yesterday and today. Mm. But why is he not anti-ULES extension in London? Why is he not go, jumping on his uh, uh, his Labour uh, mayor in London and telling him, right, uh, Suddy, stop this now, we're not having it? Right. Why doesn't he do that? Well, because he doesn't have the uh, cojones, quite frankly, to do that, because he's frightened of Keir, he's frightened of uh, Sadiq Khan, because he's not sure whether he's got actually more power than Keir Starmer has at the moment. But, I mean, the other problem for me is the scrappage scheme is not worth the paper it's written on. You know, Sadiq Khan claims he's going to expend, extend it, so he's going to give more people £2,000 of our money um, to pay for a car that won't buy them a car, because 2000 quid won't get you a car that will be compliant, will it? No, absolutely. The the cheapest uh, family car in terms of an electric vehicle is something around twenty five to thirty thousand. Right. The smallest Nissan Leafs you're looking at something like fifteen to twenty thousand. So take two thousand off. You've got to, he's putting people more into debt. Yeah. That's what he's doing. And the interesting thing is uh, the second hand value of uh, non compliant vehicles are rocketing. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, no politician should interfere in any market, and that's what they're doing. Yeah. Exactly right. And meanwhile, we get news from uh, Wales that a new 20 mile per hour speed limit is actually causing more dangerous driving, you know, because the mad uh, Kim Jong Drakeford has decided it'd be great if everybody drives around really, really slowly. uh, So it takes them forever to get anywhere. Um, But it now turns out it's actually more dangerous. Well, absolutely. I mean, you, you know, I mean, I, I, dr- I drove up to London a lot more recently because of the train strikes. So I'm yes. coming in, going through 20 mile an hour zones. I'm looking at my speedometer mm. rather than I'm looking at the road more. Yeah, yeah. And it, that's the sort of thing that's happening. And I'm talking to taxi drivers on a daily basis and they're saying they're doing the same thing. It is ruining their trade, for mm. example. And all of those sorts of things. 
again, it's clueless, ignorant, uh, absolutely ignorant beyond belief uh, politicians who don't understand road user economy. No, but they don't because most of them have no clue about having to drive anywhere because they get a subsidised, uh, you know, car driving around London. They get subsidised train travel when they can find a train that runs. And when they get to wherever it is they're going, the missus picks them up and drives them home. You know, they don't actually sit in a car on the M6 wondering why they haven't moved for four hours. They don't actually, you know, find that the M1's been put down to one lane again between Leicester and sort of, you know, Watford, and it takes you about five hours to get there. The roads in this in this country are woeful. Uh, they're too full yeah. of cars. Uh, they, it's incredibly difficult to get around anywhere. You're absolutely right. And the interesting thing I've learned only in the last couple of days, that uh, the taxpayer is also paying for uh, MPs, non-compliant taxes, uh, you know, in terms of ULEZs and uh, congestion charges, yeah. all those we're paying for that. They put that on their expenses. Now, how hypoc hypocritical can that ever be? Yeah. Well, my favourite story of the week so far, uh, Howard, and I don't know if you heard this one on Monday, uh, is that the Taliban apparently have got about £125,000 worth of outstanding parking tickets in London, yes. which they're not paying. Oh, I'm going, I'm just going to get a Taliban sticker. I'm going to put it on the car. Uh, and whenever I park anywhere, I'm going to claim an exemption. And then I'm also going to claim an exemption for any speeding fine I might get. I'll just say, look, sorry, guys, I'm in a Taliban. I, I love that. <laughs> I really love that. I'm going to put that out on a tweet. I think it's great. That's really good. Absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's ludicrous. But again, on a serious note, it's hitting low-income families, small businesses, you know, sole traders, yeah. you know, the, the midwife who does shift work at St. Thomas's Hospital. I always quote that one. She's paying 56 quid over two days for congestion and ULEZs right. and only makes 80 quid in a, in a shift. What's the right. point of doing the work? Right. And we talk all the time, Howard, and I know you're running for mayor, so you'll have policies on this. We talk all the time about having a referendum on net zero, whether or not people actually want it. Let's find out. Let's put it to the vote. Um, surely we should be doing the same with you, Les, shouldn't we? I mean, who on earth gave these people permission to basically charge us to drive on the roads that we've already paid for? Absolutely right. We're, we're one of the highest, if not the highest tax drivers in the world. They don't need to take any more money from us. And when I become mayor, I promise you, all of you, Les, is going, the whole of it, not just the extension, everything's going. I'm even, I'm even looking at already the viability of the congestion charge to uh, uh, too. I might be actually getting rid of that. The important thing is we've got to get London moving again, and mm. that's the most important thing. I mean, the problem with London is the congestion charge has done nothing but actually cause more congestion. Um, the ULED zone hasn't caused anybody to stop driving in it. The air pollution levels are very low. Uh, we know that because we know that when you've measured them on the underground, they're an awful lot higher, but actually above ground, they're pretty good. So that can only tell you one thing, which is that actually the cars by and large that are driving around central London these days are pretty clean. Well, that's the point, Mike, because there's technology, clean fuel technology is available right now can halve emissions, improve economy uh, fuel consumption by 10 percent. That's happening all around the world, mm. particularly in the US. Texas, it's an illegal requirement to have it in the bulk delivery to forecourts. That uh, things like fuel catalysts, there's e-fuels, all of these sorts of things. We shouldn't be being forced into one mode of transport, electric vehicles, because we're woefully unprepared for that uh, uh, day in, uh, on January the 1st, 2030. Mm. Well, of course we are. And everywhere you look, we now hear um, stories that electric cars are not as good as everybody thought. They cost more to run now than we thought they did. They're much heavier uh, than we knew that they were. Uh, we're also told now that if there is going to be a lot of people plugging them in, into their right. into their homes, um, you know, you're not going to be able to walk past the house. Well, we've just produced a report, the Alliance of British Drivers Motorcycle Action Group in Fairfield, UK, which compared cradle to grave electric vehicles versus diesel and petrol cars. In other words, uh, comparing right from they first manufactured from the lithium, you know, mined. Right or the oil coming out of the North Sea, etc., all those that are the Middle East, right away to dispose of the battery and dispose of the vehicle. And I can promise you that uh, uh, EVs are certainly not very green. They're a lot worse in terms of CO2 emissions than diesel and petrol cars. And they, al they also don't retain their value anything like petrol cars, do they? That's right. Well, I'm actually in the market to buy a new car or, or, or get hold of a new car if I could afford it. Yeah. But I popped into a garage yesterday and I spoke to the dealer and he, he, we had a good chat about what deals are available. You know about this, Mike. I mm. spoke to you before about leasing and all the other things that are available to us. And I, he said, how would you like a second-hand electric vehicle? He said, right. I said, no, I don't. He said, well, I've got loads of them. <laughs> right, I bet. 
people are offloading them. They don't. They're going back to fossil fueled vehicles. Right. Because they're more efficient. If you're on a long journey, you know you don't want to be stuck um, running out of, uh, of 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 charge because you know you're not going to be able to find a place to charge it, and you're going to have to probably wait a couple of hours before it gets charged up. The whole idea of electric cars was a kind of um, pie in the sky notion dreamed up by people in California who've got loads of money and who don't really go anywhere. Well, the, the electric vehicle actual market is nearly saturated because the ones who can afford it have virtually got one by yeah. now. No one else is something like 90 percent of people are not going to buy an electric vehicle. Right. Simple as that. So forcing us into this draconian approach into all these edicts coming from both national and local government is purely virtual signaling BS. And I, I'm sick to death of this, the way we do it. We should be working together with all drivers and all ways to incentivise clean fuel technologies. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Howard. Thanks very much indeed. Howard Cox, like me, uh, without much faith in the old Sir Keir Starmer flip-floppery, uh, where his latest uh, uh, suggestion is that he doesn't think it's a bad idea uh, to actually stop the outro, the rolling out of ULES, because he doesn't think that the scheme should be rolled out outside of London. But inside of London, he thinks that's fine because he's frightened of Sadiq Khan. Brilliant. So Captain Flip-Flop goes one way outside London and another way inside London. Brilliant. I'm surprised he ever gets anywhere because he goes round and round in circles constantly, all the time. Sakia Flip-Flop. Absolutely hopeless. Coming up, we're going to be talking to Danny Shaw, crime justice and policing commentator. We're going to find out from him. What about this latest craze? Has it come from America? This TikTok raiding uh, of shops in Oxford Street that happened the other day. Uh, is there going to be more of that? Is this the future? This is Talk TV. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Dale Vince has tweeted at me and Julie Hartley Brewer, saying Maui in Hawaii has just been burned from the face of the earth. When will you drop your ridiculous and dangerous denial of the climate crisis? This isn't just weather. Well, actually, it's just weather. Uh, there's bad wind there, and it's very hot and dry, as it often is in hot and dry countries, like Hawaii, uh, places in America where it actually is quite hot. We'll find out, I'm sure, in the fullness of time if the fire was started deliberately. Uh, but I very much doubt that Maui has been burned from the face of the earth, Dale. Don't get your knickers in such a twist. And also, next time I ask you to come on, don't bottle out of it, and maybe we can have a conversation. Simple. Let's talk to Danny Shaw, crime justice and policing commentator, uh, because yesterday uh, there were uh, nine people arrested, 34 dispersal orders were issued on London's Oxford Street uh, because there was a sort of ram raid of people who decided, thanks to a, a video on TikTok, they should all get together uh, and uh, go and rob a few shops. According to Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, she said this, we cannot allow the kind of lawlessness seen in some American cities to come to the streets of the UK. The police have my full backing to do whatever necessary to ensure public order. Those responsible must be hunted down and locked up. I expect nothing less from the Met Police and have requested a full incident report. Let's talk to Danny Shaw now, uh, crime justice and policing commentator, uh, to get the latest from him. Danny, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. N nice to be on your yeah, show. Nice to see you. I mean, this is a bit of an import from the United States of America. We were hearing from sort of quite early doors yesterday that there was trouble expected um, in Oxford Street because the police, I suppose, intelligence units had detected some social media activity uh, that seemed to be calling for this kind of thing to happen. Um, it doesn't seem right that, that social media should be allowed to be used as a platform for this kind of organisation, does it? No, and the social media companies have got a massive responsibility uh, to stop that sort of message from getting out where it's inciting people to commit criminal acts. Yeah. Uh, I think the message was first on Snapchat, then it was shared on TikTok. Um, I'm not so sure, Mike, if this is an American import. I mean, a year ago uh, in August last year, we saw some similar scenes mm. on Oxford Street, I think an American candy store. Yeah. Um, I think there was some trouble there. And if you go back um, to 2011, um, and you remember that summer, that week of um, major disturbances and riots in, mm. in towns, cities across England, uh, London particularly was really badly hit, sparked by a, a protest um, after the fatal police shooting of Mark Duggan. Um, I am hoping that we're not going to see sort of uh, copycat attempts from what mm. we saw yesterday or see this spread to other um, uh, areas, because that is the real fear, is that people will see this on social media, they'll see the footage and they'll think, mm, that's not a bad idea. It's a nice hot afternoon. Uh, no one's at school or college. Uh, so there are a lot of young people with a lot of time on their hands. Mm. 
and some of them uh, with uh, sadly sort of the wrong sorts of motives and intentions might sort of try to um, try to embark on something we saw yesterday. I really hope that doesn't happen because I, I don't know about you, Mike, but those few days in 2011 were some of the scariest that I can remember because it felt like the country was almost on the brink of anarchy because the, the rioting and disturbances were out of control yeah. and were moving from one uh, city centre to another. Uh, and the police really couldn't catch up. But as ever, though, they were run by criminal enterprise. They were not run by people who wanted to fight back against the police or to fight back against what they thought was their drown-trodden lives because the government wasn't looking after them. In the end, they just wanted a free pair of sneakers and a new TV. And as a result of that, they had no kind of currency with anarchy, really, because they were simply robbing places. Yes, I mean, there was a whole mix of things that went into that and caused it. But in the end, yeah, it was a lot of people who just felt that they could take advantage yeah. because there seemed to be no police presence at all. Yeah. And they weren't anarchists. They weren't seeking to overthrow the government. Uh, but there was a sense of anarchy and that, that the police just couldn't marshal uh, enough people to be on the streets to stop it or to or to get ahead of it. Now, what's encouraging about this is that it looks like the police were on social media, they were aware of what happened and they were there yeah. on Oxford Street in numbers and perhaps that they've learned uh, that they've got to get ahead of this before it happens. Yeah. They've also issued um, the dispersal orders for people who don't know what they are. This is where the police can sort of designate a particular zone uh, that's, you know, that they're worried that there's going to be trouble and they can issue notices to certain people they identify in that zone and if they go into that area, they will be in breach of that and they can be prosecuted. Mm. So it looks like they're sort of getting ahead of it and using the powers at their disposal, which is a good thing. But the concern is it's lovely hot weather out there. And we all know that in summer holidays, um, you know, hot weather, uh, kids and young people with not very much to do, a, a sense of anger, perhaps about the authorities and about the cost of living crisis. All those things can mix together and lead to some some of the scenes we saw yesterday. Yeah. I mean, surely there is also some form of uh, responsibility that should be held by the social media companies, you know, whether it's Snapchat, whether it's um, TikTok. You know, if they're allowing their platforms to be used for crimes to be planned, surely that is a crime in itself, isn't it? I absolutely agree with you. Uh, and they have a responsibility. Look, they can't monitor every single social media post, the millions and millions of posts. But where something is drawn to their attention, you would have hoped that they have a unit, they have teams that would take that down straight away um, and that potentially identify the people who who put that post online. Um, I note that, that amongst the seven arrests were two arrests uh, in Essex uh, that may be significant, that may be something to do with the people who were who were planning uh, what happened yesterday. And it's really quick police action, which is vital. Um, you know, what we saw um, in 2011 was that the courts acted really quickly. I don't know if you remember, Mike, they were working round the clock. Mm. Once people had been arrested, they were sitting, at, you know, late night. I think they were even weekend sittings to get the, the, the ringleaders in particular and other people who'd taken part processed through the courts quickly to send out the message uh, to, you know, you will be caught and you will be punished immediately. There's mm. going to be no stringing this out for months and months and months. And so I think if that, you know, if that happens from what we saw yesterday, I think that will be a very important thing yeah. as well. And we've also seen in the sort of weeks leading up to this, uh, to some extent, Danny, an outbreak of shoplifting. You know, we've had shops complaining that more and more people are, are, are stealing from them. We had the co-op saying that they've got one shop in London that's been literally looted three times a day. You know, there is a problem with with you know, the, the visibility, if you like, of police, the visibility perhaps of security guards, even of staff in many shops. And these kids are just doing what they want to do because they can get away with it, aren't they? There is certainly an element of that. And I think, um, you know, look, uh, I've I've said before that some of shoplifting is, is due to people who just don't have enough uh, uh, money to buy the I things they I don't believe that. I really don't believe that. I don't believe that Some of it is due to that and some of it is due to uh, people no. who have... People generally, no, generally people, Daddy, who haven't got enough money to afford to eat will find a way to find things that they can eat, that they can afford. You know, we don't have people starving in this country. People who are stealing things from shops are criminals. It's as simple as that. They're not doing it because they're forced into it. You know, people were poor in the 20s. People were poor in the 30s. People have been poor in this country over historical periods of time. They haven't resorted to stealing because they had a moral compass. 
Not everyone might, but there are some people who are very poor and poverty does lead to crime. And there have been major pieces of research. It didn't used to. That, as, does, as does addiction, as does dr drug addiction. People who are attempting to feed their addiction have to steal in order to sell the goods and so on. Uh, and people who have alcohol problems. That's well, not I'm sorry, that's criminal activity. We shouldn't, well, you shouldn't be condoning it. You shouldn't be saying, oh, that's all right then. I'm not saying it's all right. I didn't say it's all right. I'm not condoning it. I'm trying to give you some explanations. And what I'm saying is... Well, I'll is tell you what. I'll, I'll ask you a question, right? I'll ask you a question. Of all of those people in Oxford Street yesterday, how many of them were doing it because they were starving hungry? No, I didn't. I would say I none. Say that. that was... No, I didn't say that, Mike. You're, you're trying to twist what no, I said. I'm not twisting it. I'm just saying that none of those people are anything other than criminals. Sorry. I, I agree with you. People who were looting shops in Oxford Street and embarking on disorder um, need to be punished, and they need to be pun punished yeah. quickly. And, and, and people, and people who, who are shoplifting, clear. and we were, told, we were also told that the vast majority of the people who are shoplifting are criminal gangs who are doing it to make money. Okay, I don't think there's anyone has done a definitive piece of research to say the vast majority are criminal gangs. There are criminal gangs who are clearly involved in shoplifting. Um, there are other people who are shoplifting for other reasons due to their personal circumstances. That's not an excuse. Apologies for that. That's not an excuse, uh, but it's an it's an explanation as to as to why that sometimes happens. And so it's important not to generalise. Uh, but to say that the shops themselves need to do more. Some of the shops make big profits and they can certainly do more to put some of that, some of those profits into security, CCTV and so on. Well, they do. Uh, I mean, there is CCTV and, and everywhere, but it's not working. The, yeah, because the shops that I feel very sorry for are the, are the small convenience stores, the independent uh, retailers that don't have uh, those sorts of resources and they do need more support from the police. Um, and we do need to see more of a presence on the police. And now we've got the numbers back to where they were in 2010 before they were cut by the Conservative government. Uh, now it will be hoped that the police can put those numbers. Uh, well, I think the police did a pretty good job yesterday, don't you? Sorry, Mark. I think, the police, I think the police did a pretty good job yesterday. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it looks like, as I said, they were there before. Uh, they were acting on the intelligence. They'd obviously been looking at the social media accounts and they were there in, in a presence, a visible presence. And hopefully that will send out a message uh, as it as wasn't sent out in 2011, that the police will be there and will stop this from from uh, repeating itself. Because my concern is that other people will look at that and think, oh, I'll, I'll have a go. I'll do that in whatever town or city it is. Yeah the country well like i say i mean in america it started happening because it was decriminalized and people went oh we can get away with this and so then they did it so the more that it's made to be criminalized the less likely it is going to happen but danny listen we're out of time thanks very much indeed danny shaw there um i think you forgot he wasn't working for the bbc for a second uh, this is talk tv across the uk online and on dab the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio if you enjoyed that be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 monday to friday on talk radio via dab online or via the talk radio app if you have an opinion on the stories we cover we'd love to hear from you call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at talk radio during the show to have your say the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio